Hello, and welcome to the future series on Community Colleges podcast. I'm your host and co-editor of the series, Kate Theroff. This next episode of our podcast is a great one to follow our first. As you heard from Dr. Schultz in our first episode, putting students and their experiences and their success at the center of our work at community colleges is paramount. And that can't be done well. That really can't be achieved without fully considering what their experiences are like in their classrooms. And that's true regardless of whether those classrooms are brick and mortar or fully virtual or something in between. So it was great connecting with Dr. Scott Martin to interview him about his book in the Futures series titled Artificial Intelligence, Mixed Reality, and the Redefinition of the Classroom. Dr. Scott Martin is currently a professor at George Mason University, and throughout his career, he's taught in a variety of higher ed contexts that, as you'll hear him talk about at the beginning of this episode, has really helped to shape him into the educator and scholar he's become. A first-generation college student himself, he cares deeply about finding innovative ways to enhance teaching and learning, engage students, and ultimately help educators change their students' lives for the better. As we highlight some of the big takeaways from his book in this episode, we talk about how artificial intelligence, also known as AI, tries to mimic the ways humans learn. And as we learn more about how we learn, and how we can advance technology to mimic how we learn. The possibilities of propelling learning in our classrooms are really limitless. In this episode, we talk about how his book is all the more relevant today, given the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and how it forced essentially all faculty and students into online classrooms, whether they were ready for it or not. We also talk about what we know will always be true regardless of how the world and technologies are rapidly changing around us. For example, he talks about the importance of support structures for students, like advising and tutoring, and that relationships and connections will always be key to learning, especially when we're all feeling so increasingly isolated these days. A takeaway from his book and this episode is that we're in a really exciting time right now in education because some emerging AI and mixed reality technologies have the potential to bridge challenges we're facing and heighten opportunities for teachers and learners across the board. He also shares some fantastic concrete recommendations for community college administrators who recognize the future of learning is here, but aren't sure how to proceed. Listen on how as a sector, we can be more proactive rather than reactive during these turbulent times. So I think you'll enjoy this episode featuring Dr. Martin as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. Would love to hear your thoughts and reactions as always email me at futuresseriescc at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. Dr. Scott Martin, welcome to the Futures Series on Community Colleges podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you in one of our very first episodes to talk about your book titled Artificial Intelligence, Mixed Reality, and the Redefinition of the Classroom. But before we get to your book, I'd love to start with letting our readers and now our listeners get to know you a little bit. Can you share a little bit about yourself and your background and expertise? 
Well, before I answer that question, uh, I, I want to thank you, Kate, for a fantastic, uh, wonderful job editing my um, broken prose uh, <laughs> as I sent it to you last year. And um, it's my pleasure to be here uh, as well. So thank you for the invitation. You bet. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll, st I'll start current. I'm currently a, a professor at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, and I teach a plethora of, of various courses from soft skill courses to, to uh, computer science uh, courses. Um, prior to that, uh, I've taught at several universities uh, going backwards in time. Uh, University of Maryland uh, for a while where I received my doctorate. Um, Hopkins, bachelor's and master's. And my first gig was at um, uh, roughly, if I recall correctly, 89-90 was at um, Alabama State University, HBCU. Mm. At a time, where there was recognized budgetary discrimination in the state of Alabama. So it was a very, very challenging, uh, challenging experience, but very enlightening uh, as well. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I received permission from my dean to also teach part-time at Troy State University. At that time, it was on the, um, it was on an Air Force base in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and what I, what I found fascinating between the, the two groups of students that I was teaching um, is that both uh, had very similar parallels in not really um, having uh, an academic mentor or, or, or scholar, um, needing kind of the same kind of support systems and mentoring, which they never really had. Um, and aside from the age differences, obviously freshmen, sophomore are gonna be younger than students in the Air Force. Um, but um, uh, overall, there was a lot of the similar um, support structures that, that both groups of students uh, were missing. And then on reflecting my own background, I'm the first to, to graduate college in a family of six siblings. Um, and uh, both of my parents were in the, uh, in the military as well. And so I, again, uh, you know, noticing a pattern here that I actually didn't have uh, as well, a, a kind of a, an academic mentor uh, or a model, if you will, to follow. So anyway, that's kind of that's kind of my background and interest in writing this book, and it really has inspired a lot of almost all the research uh, in machine learning, AI, and teaching and learning uh, for the last decade or so of, of my activities. That's a, a perfect setup. One thing you talk about in the book is that you call yourself, you consider yourself a learning engineer, uh, which might be the, a good way to sort of talk about, uh, again, for those, those of our readers, listeners who might just need a refresher on what artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, the concepts that you tackle in your book, just a little bit about what are they and why are they important? So, so that's a, that's a big question. And I could sit it here is. for hours to that, that one. Um, but uh, basically, artificial intelligence models um, is soft, software programs that kind of imitate biological intelligence, as if we really understood that, right? So, so what we do is we try to examine biological intelligence, uh, examining uh, neural activity uh, in in human human mammal brains, and then we try to uh, duplicate or mimic that um, those interactions of neurons. Artificially, now it can't have uh, wet neurons in a computer because that would cause a short. But we build a software structure that kind of imitates how they interact and and connect and transfer information, uh, and how they store information and how they change. Um, and so that's that's really what artificial. There's a lot of different types of um, frameworks. There's uh, different types of models. There's mathematical models. 
there's prob probability models, there's uh, lots of different types of, of um, examples that, of intelligence that we use. But, but overall, um, it's, 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 um, the, the importance is breakthroughs. Um, and and it's, it's been challenging for the last, oh, 2,000 years to understand how we learn as humans from Greek philosophers to today, uh, bioscientists and, and neurosurgeons um, perhaps if we understood and can mimic or replicate aspects of human learning artificially, that'll help us understand how we actually learn as humans. So that's really the, 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 the value in, in, in right. AI. Right. And it's, uh, even though it, these, these concepts have been around for a while, it just seems like the future is limitless with the potential, which you get into uh, in the book quite a bit. You also highlight some of those kind of current innovations, those cutting edge um, tools, technology that some colleges are embracing. Do you mind highlighting a few of those in this podcast, a little bit teaser for the book where you can get more info on them? Well, I kind of lead into, in the book, uh, before I talk about some of the more AI, innovative AI tools, I talk about the advantages and disadvantages of synchronous versus asynchronous learning. I think that's relevant today because of COVID, uh, all, in my own experiences. So back in March, all of us had you know a week or two and sometimes three to all of a sudden jump online and then teach our courses for the most part synchronously, right? Well, pretty much streaming right. and communicating now. Um, and um, what I learned in, in the course um, courses that I was in the middle of in March uh, this past spring was that they were designed for on-site lecture-based courses. Um, and so they became online students, right? Distance learning students, right. no fault mm -hmm. of their own. Mm -hmm. um, but what I did find out is um, the course wasn't designed as an online course either. So what I did find out is that, is that a few weeks would go by synchronously and I'd realize they started out well, and then a lot of them would start dropping off. They, their assignments were late. And so I would call a live meeting. And I called a live meeting. And then everybody would get back on track. And they would yeah. attend the live meeting. Yes, 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 yes. And then a couple of weeks would go by. And I said, you know, I'm starting to see a lot of kids fall apart again. And I call them kids, obviously, but the young adults. And so I call another live meeting. And that's kind of the way we structured the spring semester. So I was on Zoom uh, or uh, Microsoft meetings. Um, uh, all of us have been using all of these tools, mm -hmm. WebEx, whatever it is, uh, a lot in, in the spring. But but overall, the survey results were were pretty good. But I suspect that without those live uh, live interaction, um, it wasn't going to happen. And and mm -hmm. part of that is expectations, but also learners are influenced by by you know teachers' style and personality. And even nonverbal cues and gestures, eye contact, uh, body language, facial expressions, tone, positive tones, have have a have a, a affect learner, you know, concentration and, and performance and focus. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what these kids, these students needed, these learners needed after a couple of weeks, because it wasn't they were isolated just from education; they were isolated from everyone, their parents, their family, their friends, um, their peers. Um, so. So I think that 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 live piece is is pretty important. I've always been an advocate. I know, obviously, with live streaming, uh, and when we talk about time zones, we talk about global. It's difficult, and we talk about uh, first generation learners. A lot of a lot of them are working, and um, you know, it's it's it, the beauty of synchronous is asynchronous is that you can take the course anytime you want. The flexibility, but you, you miss that uh, the, the you know the the bridging of transact transactional distances that occurs um, you know when when you have that that streaming piece 
So uh, some of the tools to answer your question, um, some some of the tools are what uh, I started creating a couple of years ago that I'm starting to see pieces of um, existing now at, at some universities. And that's uh, student support services back to uh, what I was talking about first generational learners, historically yeah. underserved populations uh, that, that really are starting to more um, reflect the demographics of the United States in higher education, specifically in community colleges, mm -hmm. primarily in community colleges, um, and slowly, slowly, slowly through traditional four-year universities as well. But um, uh, you know, is that they, there's not support structures, and certainly there wasn't. I mean, any article you pick up on, on the spring, uh, sorry, uh, this semester and the spring semester, was it successful? And and I, there's no research that I've seen that said that that the switch to online was successful for almost anyone, faculty and or learners. Um, and so part of that is the lack, uh, and you'll read a little deeply in some of the more uh, recent research and even the National Center for Educational Statistics came out with a, a paper this summer um, was the lack of support services and on-site traditional residential student that needs advising or mentoring or counseling or just a, a shoulder to lean on for heaven's sakes can walk across campus and schedule those or meet with their faculty one-on-one -on -one for reassurance. You don't have that online and no one had that online. Mm. We don't now. We probably won't this coming up spring. Um, and so one of my, I wanted to try to solve that problem by creating AI driven uh, counselors and advisors mm. Um, and even mentors. And so you're starting right. to see pieces of that being integrated into current LMS platforms, but even more specifically into video streaming applications like Zoom. Mm. So that was a long answer, but. No, it's excellent. I mean, you talk about the the DALI, the D-A-L-I, right? The Deep, Deep Academic, Academic Learning, Learning Intelligence. Intelligence. Uh, and some of the examples are there are just phenomenal. So have you seen colleges start to embrace this, recognizing that Certainly, it's helpful for the times of crisis that we're in, but looking ahead, how valuable it would be to have some of these smart um, applications be able to support, target and support students who need it that we wouldn't otherwise know that they need that support. Um, um, I would say I'm aware of more uh, community colleges and a few um, traditional four-year universities uh, planning on adopting uh, such support uh, mm -hmm. systems rather than actually implementing them. Uh, mm -hmm. I am aware, and I, I talked a little bit about this um, at the University uh, Georgia Tech, actually. Um, I have a colleague there with a huge team of researchers that have adopted some of Dolly's functionality um, and parsing a lot of the um, a lot of the chat and forum discussions that student ha students have to try to extract patterns and then make recommendations to help kids overcome some learners, overcome some of the challenges mm -hmm. um, that they're having in isolation and online. So right. that's that's what I see now, or, or I did see in the spring and, and occurring now this, this fall and it, it being expanded and imitated, if you will, at other universities. Right. Uh, the other thing you talk about, and I know this is a, a technology that existed and I can see expand, uh, whether you call it Scrib, I think, or, or whatever. The I was going to Scribe, actually. Scribe, yeah. sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and how um, it, there's, there's tools out there to support peer-to-peer -peer learning that uh, can be hard to replicate in an online environment, but having something like a Scribe can really bring to life some of the, the peer learning that you could 
have in an online or in-person classroom. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the value really in, in that platform was the uh, inventions and algorithms under the hood. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the initial ones that that facilitated uh, social learning and peer to peer learning um, would would um, examine uh, three pieces of, uh, of every student, whether um, so it'd be traditional information, um, it would be interests, um, hobbies, what we call um, uh, commonalities, and then thirdly would be academic standing and then the algorithms would break group of students, it doesn't matter how large, let's say a class of 100 students. Um, and, and what it would do is examine their academic standings and it would, it would, it would um, group uh, or cluster, if you will, um, high, mid and low achievers into the same class room or learning group uh, and then wall it off from the next group and the next group in, in 30 or fewer students. And, and this research that we found at George Mason that I ran um, is that as, if there was strong commonalities, meaning they both like the same soccer team or the same style of music or the same performers, if you will, it would bridge that, um, it would bridge a relationship. Um, and and, and um, what you would find is that it would inspire the high achievers uh, to help the mid and the low, and then everyone would uh, academically improve. And that was really eye-opening. And some there's some research out there that substantiates, you know, our, our what we discovered as well. It wasn't a peer review study per se, but um, but nothing like what what we discovered in, in our in our um, in our research. So right. I think that's uh, it's eye-opening. It um, is. It wasn't. It didn't have anything to do with likenesses other than commonalities. Yeah. Uh, Right. Social stuff that had nothing to do with the classroom right. that brought brought the students, you know, inspired the students to, to work together. Right. It I, I gotta say, you know, originally I was inspired to create those algorithms from games. Because in multiplayer games that uh, my kids played and I played and I mm -hmm. teach in a computer game design program, you would see groups of uh, uh, players, no idea who they were coming together for a common purpose. And that's because they love the game that they just logged into. Yeah. Um, and then there was a matching application, very slightly, actually quite different than what I invented. It wasn't as complex, but it would match um, up a group of four to six to eight to work together to solve a quest or to solve or to challenge, um, succeed in a particular challenge or destroy mm -hmm. a boss monster or whatever. Mm -hmm. you, and, and to work together and it would force that collaboration a little bit. And then through live discussions and chat um, and and voice the text, you know, amongst themselves, they would they would um, uh, share more information, right? The penetration, right. the more little yeah. that you learn, the more you trust the person, the more you share, you share a little bit more. So uh, again, all in the uh, with the same goal of winning the game. Uh, so so that was the inspiration for that, and it it worked on the you know, in the, in the game space. And then it works a little bit in the social space um, and certainly in, in academia in, in teaching and learning. So anyway, that's, yeah. That's. I, I just love it because I, I do see regardless of the mode, but those peer to peer learning is just essential to student learning. 
And a tool like that uh, with those algorithms in place can just bring learning to life and maybe even make the group project fun, which we know too many of our students can't stand, but is so important in real life. So the the fact that there are tools like that out there that you talk about and that you're an expert in, it's, I I just see the potential of that just limitless, like I had mentioned. Thanks. Um, So let's talk about the future a little bit. Um, What do you see in terms of the trends? What's coming down the pike that some of us don't see the way that your expertise can can allow you to see? What are things we need to be preparing for now as community college leaders, community college faculty, those in the higher ed space? Um, I I, I would say that um, as AI-driven online tutors uh, become um, more precise and accurate, uh, and it, it takes time because all uh, AI models, machine learning models have to be trained and you want them trained on individual data so they can become personalized. And um, we start to see that a little bit at, at Georgia Tech uh, over time. Um, they're going to start offering um, courses on their own. So I'm not going to suggest, yeah, I am going to suggest. A lot of AI researchers believe anywhere from 20 to 200 years away will we ever see what's called artificial general intelligence. And what that is, um, is equal intelligence to us. Superintelligence is more intelligent than humans possibly could be, whereas AGI uh, is equivalent. Well, um, there are there are some um, tests and research going on now on tutoring bots that are approaching AGI, let's just say that. So I'm, I, uh, I, I'm an optimist. Um, you know, the role now are these AI tutors that provide basic information on, you know, where is the advisor's office and where, Tom, where, what is my schedule? And uh, perhaps you can solve a couple problems for me, but um, they're moving uh, slowly, um, Models are becoming more and more mature, and with 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 personalized training, starting to actually offer real domain uh, yeah. information. So I, I see, uh, and this is a good thing. I've just read the Wall Street Journal this morning. Uh, probably not surprised, but there's a teacher shortage in community mm-hmm. colleges and um, public schools right now. Uh, yeah. COVID really did a, a number. Uh, early retirements, people laughed. Um, and there's there's a nine percent shortage right now, and it's projected to be twelve to fifteen percent in the next two yeah. years, which is incredibly damaging to mm-hmm. to our nation. So, I, I think um, there's going to be in higher education. Um, I think that the uh, the four year traditional um, state uh, private university is probably going to be more fearful um, than the community colleges, but. Uh, of adopting more intelligent, computer intelligent uh, t- tutoring models. Um, but, but I think that the, eventually they're going to see their value. Um, it's not a parallel, but it's, it's similar to, um, I drive an electric car and um, people thought I was nuts. And now almost all my mm. colleagues are driving electric cars and they can't believe that they ever drove an ice car in the past. Right. And you know, there's a fear there. It's a fear of change, right? But a fear of a lot of things, distance, mm-hmm. costs, mm-hmm. what have you, um, how to charge, everything. But eventually you overcome those. And I think then you realize right. that you know, uh, it's, it's a, a much better solution right. uh, to take one from point A to B. Right. 
it, are you uh, one of those who believe that kind of without COVID, which has led to this acceleration of online learning and, and, and innovation, right? I think, you know, in the spring, it was sort of this emergency remote teaching. And I think gradually right. here now in the closing of this term, that there's a little more of an acceptance and maybe even some some faculty and students having some fun with the the online environment but as you put it uh so many of our students it's not ideal no um, it's not it's, it's not. not but do you view that this this crisis if there's any silver lining is that it's led to sort of an acceleration of uh you know being less reactive to these things and trying to be more proactive i i, I, I do i mean i you know, there's there's opportunity in, in every disaster, right? And you've heard right. examples of that phrase from various folks uh, in the public sphere. But um, no, I, I there, there is a tremendous desire to adopt change, new tech, uh, because yeah. everyone knows it's broken. What exists right now, platforms right. exist are broken. The methodologies are broken for the most part. Um, the the only other issue that I'm hearing is the same one. You know, before it was. We didn't have the budget in order to adopt these things. Plus, we're fine now versus we're not fine now. But now our budget is even worse. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, I was hoping that this 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 pandemic would really be a force for positive change, equalizing educational opportunities for so many. Uh, finally, uh, adopting new tools. And, um, you know, we're kind of stuck uh, because of the budget. Right. Uh, but who knows? Yeah, I, I think that maybe we'll need another podcast episode. <laughs> and there's a book on community <laughs> college funding, but uh, perhaps we got to look to um, a new one in, in light of, again, the kind of the crisis mode that we continue to be in. I mean, um, community colleges, as you know, I don't need to tell you, are the front line for educating yeah. the majority of new Americans, um, you know, underserved populations, um, new populations. Uh, right. and, and so I, I, I can't... Um, yeah, it would be an incredible crisis. But yes, the uh, the budgets are being in, hit there as well. Right. Um, but population doesn't stop. Immigration doesn't stop. The good news is, as you kind of alluded, that community colleges are known as a sector to be nimble, to, to be able to take risk, to be innovative. And so I think there is a lot of hope um, across colleges that, um, as you put it, we turn this crisis into a real opportunity. So maybe one of the, just a couple final uh, questions. Uh, you set the stage really well with uh, what is currently available and what's coming. For a community college leader uh, anywhere in the country, if they were to ask you, hey, I know that this is going to be the future, but what do I need to be doing now? What are some resources I need to be diving into? Or what are some investments I should make with some of the limited budget that I have? Any advice for those leaders out there at community colleges who recognize they need to adapt and adapt quickly? Yeah, two things. The, the first I would recommend is a technology audit of, of what they mm -hmm. have um, and what currently works. Um, and then the second recommendation would probably be a white paper study um, on the options, providing options to the community college leadership on what is available today, what's available mm -hmm. tomorrow, and, and build towards that. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of new tech is becoming modular, so it's not that you're going to get stuck. And, and, you know, Blackboard's kind of done that by default. You know, they keep acquiring companies to try to become irrelevant. Uh, now it's, you know, it breaks because there's too many pieces trying to, that they try to integrate. But, um, you know, uh, commissioning a white paper uh, on just educating community college leadership on what's available, 
what's the bottom line? How will this transform their institution? Um, I think would give them uh, the ammunition they would need then to go, you know, say, hey, th this is going to lower costs um, over time. This is going to improve outcomes for our students. Um, they're going to be graduating, not needing to, to progress to a four-year institution because there's not enough time. Mm -hmm. um, they can go to the work, work workforce much more quickly and better skilled. Um, so, so I think those are the two recommendations, both a technology audit and a then commission a white paper, you know, study on what's available just to inform. Right. Excellent suggestions. And in fact, uh, the future series, we've been thinking about how we need to adapt and that we've been uh, publishing a lot of great books, but how we can be nimble and and uh, get some of these great ideas and calls to action to our readers uh, even sooner in a sort of, uh, you know, report or special edition uh, sort of report the way that you just described. Um, kind of related to that, I are there it, what do you read? Are there certain journals? Are there certain kind of e-newsletters that help to, uh, again, sort of see the future that you are, you're, you're tapped into that you can share with our readers and listeners? I mean, there's not really one particular source. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of scholars out there um, in AI. Most of the scholarly work in AI, believe it or not, is in Europe. It's not really in the States mm -hmm. that much. What we have in the States, the breakthroughs in AI in the States are all commercial. I mean, it's, it's all business oriented. It's commercial. It's coming out of Silicon Valley. It's not education focused. Whereas you have the Institute for the Humanities at Oxford with um, you know, doing a lot of research on AI for good and, and education and, and training. Um, there is an association which is based in Belgium um, as well, which is an American, Associ uh, American Associ Association for AI and Education. I mean, mm. that's what it's called. Great. And it's an international. It's a, I'd say about a third are, are uh, educators, US educators, yeah. two thirds are European and Asian. Um, they have some pretty neat stuff that they're working on as well. And they, you know, they can get their hands pretty dirty with mathematical models, but at the mm. same time, policy is really big uh, for them as well. Well, that's great, right. But I'm not sure who reads it other than a handful of yep. the folks that are members <laughs> in the States. Um, right. You know, so. That's anyway. helpful. Thank you. Just yep. any, anything that would help us as as community college leaders sort of see, like I mentioned, open our eyes to to what's coming. Uh, it's so, actually called the in Oxford, the Institute for the Future of Humanity. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. it, uh, it's, yeah, pretty neat. It's yeah, no, I have heard that work. one. That is a good one. Um, so related to that, uh, as you know, the future series, we're always brainstorming new topics, book topics, or report topics, like you mentioned. So any other ones, whether related to this topic or not, that you would see as being really valuable to, to consider, um, for future, uh, and inclusion of the, in the future series? You know, um, I think what... Uh, traditionally, higher education has struggled with, um, and I've been in it now over 30 years, is partnering with the private sector. I have a love-hate relationship with the private mm -hmm. sector. Um, but at the same time, they are there wanting to you know, hire our graduates, right? Um, and so um, at the same time, um, we don't want them to interfere in our, historically anyway, our curriculum, right? Stay away. Just give us your money and go away, um, right? We have that wall. Uh, they know it and we know it. Um, but I think there needs to be a bridge, um, certainly in community colleges, that needs to be built be between 
community colleges and the private sector for more than just money. Money is going to definitely help, and they have more than they can spend um, stealing all of our data. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, and then reselling it. Um, but at the same time, it's in their best interest. Um, and in many cases, if you read their mission or the mission of their foundations uh, or even their investment funds, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's supporting non-traditional first-generation historical industry populations. It's exactly the mission of, of um, the charges of many community colleges. And there really needs to be, don't depend, I mean, we're, the states, we're never going to get the funding we had from the states 20 years ago. It's just not going to happen. So there needs to be a... Uh, a study, a bridge, uh, in, an institute that can connect you to uh, forces for, for good. Uh, right. So that, that's that's right. my one, one big recommendation. I, I love that idea. And it is something our national advisory panel has discussed a few times of a, the private-public part, private partnership of the future that will uh, you know, lead to win-wins across, across industries and especially for communities and especially communities that need a little extra support. Uh, I love that idea. I, I I love it, and what how you described it too. It's not just money, right? It's it's ways no, to no, right. to partner no. in ways to make sure that our our communities, our students are are well served. That's a great one. Thank you. Well, um, any other ideas that you you can I mean, that's of? you know that that's a big one. That uh, is a big one. Mm -hmm. And um, and and again, um, the recommendation I already gave uh, for for leadership. Um, conducts the, those studies. I think I think would give them the ammunition, uh, uh, you know, to move forward and, and adopt some of these these um, today exotic uh, tools to improve education. But they won't be in the next five years. Yeah, in my, right. in my, uh, my opinion. So, yeah, those are the those are the those are the two primary pieces. No, no other recommendations other than those. You know, it's kind of like. Um, uh, building this bridge between the private sector and, and, and the colleges, you need to find a lead investor, right? It's almost like, um, what was it, Bill Gates and um, uh, what's the, the Oracle of Omaha, they came together for the giving pledge, right? And so you had these two co-leaders and then they tugged on the you know, the purse strings of all of their personal friends and colleagues. And then you had this huge foundation of everybody committing, you know, to give away all their money when they pass away. Um, and it's, it's, you need a lead investor. It's the same thing with a startup, you know, when you're raising money to launch a company, you need to find a lead and then everybody else will follow. It's kind of the same thing here to find a major national international leader um, that's willing to come forward and support that bridge between colleges um, and, and their company and other companies, and then you'll have plenty of other companies coming together. Uh, they just need to see what's obvious, which they will. Um, and of course, I think we know what, what you know, the benefits uh, community colleges could be. Thanks. There's no doubt of the impact of what you just described could be um, groundbreaking for all of higher ed. Uh, and I do think community colleges, because of their close connections with employers in their local communities could be the innovators in this to really think about these public private partnerships in ways that communities just need. Um, yeah, and I think I think there's more innovation there possible with community colleges and yeah. traditional um, PhD granting institutions, to be honest with you, um, right. I, I, without question. I think there's a lot more flexibility and probably more attractive 
Right. Uh, there's, there's only so much these they, they, these big corporations realize these coding boot camps provide. It's not yes. the same thing. <laughs> thank you. Yes, you're right. You're right. Well, Dr. Martin, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today to talk about your book and share your insights with us here on the future series on Community College Podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to chat with you today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Just loved that episode and all the good insights Dr. Martin shared with us. There's lots more to learn about and be inspired by in his book. You can get Artificial Intelligence, Mixed Reality, and the Redefinition of the Classroom just about anywhere books are sold. Again, I'd love to hear from you. What struck you most about the conversation with Dr. Martin? What questions do you have? Email me at futuresseriescc at gmail.com. That's futures, plural, futures, series, capital C, capital C, at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at the handle futuresseriescc. Thanks again to community college student Jean-Luc Ganon for creating and producing our theme music. Be on the lookout for more episodes soon. I'm Kate Theroff, your host and co-editor of the Future Series. See you next time.